What I want to talk about today is something that it seems like inevitably when I come here and preach, it's like an extension of the Sabbath school class that Dean is doing. We always somehow are close, very close to the same topic, and minds, our minds think it's the same. I want to talk about the importance of belonging. This will deal with some of the issues that we were talking about in our Sabbath school class. Let's see if it works. Dun, dun. Ah, it works. Um, there's some alarming trends taking place in marriage. And I'm just kind of painting the initial picture here. Marriage is no longer about intimacy. It is more like being roommates. Living together, but remaining apart. Barely knowing each other. Maintaining separate friends. Independent hobbies and vacations. And different social worlds. A major study done by a, a, a very well-respected uh, researcher, sociologist, Paul Amato. And he wrote the book Alone Together to indicate that that's what's taking place. And the reason why I tell you this is simply because, and some of this I may have shared before in earlier sermons. I get sometimes confused what I've said where. But um, well, the reason I bring this to you, I think it's not just about marriages where we see this problem. I think that people are living increasingly solitary lives. And somehow what's happening is, is that lives are not coming together the way they once were. Oneness and togetherness is disappearing. Couples today, compared to 1980, uh, are less likely to have mutual friends, eat meals together, or work on projects together. They're actually in, in two different directions. Even when they're at home together, they are often in different rooms doing different things. Now, this may not apply to, to you, but the sociologists are telling us it applies to an awful lot of people today. It's a shift, as I said, towards solitariness. Men report, and this is very tragic, men report that they have no friend at all. Now, that's been pretty common uh, throughout history. And it's been very important for men to have wives that they can be really close to. But now, even the husbands and the wives are not even close. So it's, it's pretty sad. Uh, but in a lot of the cosmopolitan areas of the world, well, in the United States anyway, Couples are requesting two separate master bedrooms. Well, they don't want to get divorced. They're not angry at each other. They just aren't together. Uh, it's projected that 60% of custom houses built in, in 2015 will have dual master bedrooms. Already 25% of new projects do. Now, the baby boomers grew up in strong, stable homes, providing security for their children to pursue individualistic interests and self-confidence. And what has happened is, is that we've created a generation that is really into achieving self. And I don't say that in a negative way, but finding out what is right for them and pursuing things about self. And they're accomplishing a tremendous amount of stuff that has never been accomplished before. Pursuing higher education, careers, all kinds of things that never has been experienced before. Um, they believe they can do anything. Generation Xers, their children, do not have the security, stability, or commonly held values that their parents grew up with. And this generation desperately, look at this, they want long-term relationships, but they are at a total loss as to how to get there. They look inside themselves and they don't know how to do it. There is no roadmap. They can't look to others and find examples. And so this is something that's really 
serious. It's, a, it's across the board. Uh, we're together like we've never been. I mean, you know, we've got all kinds of connections. You know, internet connections, people are together on it, but they're always alone. And people are losing the ability, or it's gone, as to how to be really close together with others. Loneliness is a terrible thing. The result, for the first time in history, we have a prolonged time called young adulthood where, where instead of getting married, young adults are simply coasting along, wanting marriage but terrified of it and feeling wholly inadequate for it. And so one of the things that's taking place today, not this couple here, but it's taking place today is, is that it's not unusual to find singles that are in their 30s and 40s everywhere and not married. I, why do I say this? It's not a sociology class. It is a sermon. And this is telling us that this is a severe problem today. Jesus has called us into an intimacy and we're almost totally incapable because of our own experience to know anything at all about what that is all about. It's a serious problem. Maybe too far from the thing. Sociologists observed in the 1800s about 75% or 80% of households had children present. Children have this magical capability of pulling a family together, don't they? And kind of like being the center and everything responds around the children. And so children were everywhere and it helped to hold families together. Children did. Today, it's now where? Wow, 30%. These trends are powerful indicators that intimacy, including the skills needed for it, as well as the experience of intimacy, is fast disappearing from society's consciousness. Don't think that's not having profound effects upon our spirituality. Polls indicate that over a third, 36% of married women would not marry if their husbands if they had to do it over again. I kind of checked my wife out on that a little bit. <laughs> I wanted to find out where she was at on that. And she was very kind and says, yes, she's, she'd stay married to me. Another 20%, making a total of over 50%, said they weren't sure if they would or not marry the same person. So why wouldn't they? And why are they uh, not happily married? There is no intimacy. This is huge, majority numbers. Intimacy is missing from society today. Very rare when you find it. How many years? 60 years? Dr. Burden? Yeah. That's neat. All right. Uh, Let's see. We're going to... Can't get through Rusty. There we go. People are preferring being alone rather than being connected. By the way, let's tell Rusty thank you for his willingness to help in our audiovisual today. Isn't that great? Thank you. I like to see the young people engaged with this. You might just want to take a chair there, Rusty. Okay, it looks like we need you right there. Um, so people prefer being alone rather than being connected. Connected creates nervousness and fears and all kinds of things. Now, you, all that we just said 
Compare to this what's coming up right now. In John chapter 17, what Ed just read, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. It's talking about us. Because we believe through the Bible. And so Jesus was praying for us as well, that they all may be, what's the next word? That is intimacy. Jesus' prayer in, in John chapter 17, this prayer that was this high priestly prayer, it was the prayer that defined what his purpose was in ministry, coming to this earth and dying for us, that we might become one. And I just told you by the stats that we are fast moving in the opposite direction of that. What kind of oneness? As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. This oneness, this intimacy, is is designed by God to be universal. God himself doesn't even want to be outside of that intimacy. He wants to be in the center of it. And he wants all of us to enjoy that same kind of intimacy that he enjoys, the Godhead, Godhead enjoys within itself. That the world may believe. Listen to this. How is belief connected to intimacy? Did you see that he just did that? He is saying that belief is a product of intimacy. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Is belief necessary in our salvation? Intimacy is necessary for belief. That thou hast sent me and the glory, also a byproduct, that thou gavest me, I have given them. All of this is connected to the oneness that he says right there. Glory, belief, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect. Belief, glory, perfection. Is all tied to this oneness. Look carefully at the text. I think that's what Jesus is saying. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and that the w- loved me and as thou hast loved me. So the world is waiting for this intimacy that will produce belief, glory, and perfection. Are we together so far? I'm simply saying, as Adventists, many, many years, our goal has been to take the gospel to the entire world so Jesus Christ can come back, right? But I'm saying, unless there's a spirit of intimacy and an actual fellowship of intimacy, the world cannot believe, perfection cannot come, nor can we be glorified. Intimacy is necessary for that. Jesus himself, our high priest, was saying that this was his number one prayer. Now, according to Jesus, oneness is his most important goal for us. It is the most urgent agenda of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is sent to achieve this more than anything else. Yet, almost no training is given to ministers or lay leaders in how to assist the Holy Spirit in this task. Something's wrong. Ministry today, therefore, is missing the core ingredient that Jesus intended in his high priestly prayer. Enabling us to be one. Now, when I'm talking about oneness, I'm talking about oneness everywhere. Oneness in families, oneness among congregation, you know, oneness in marriages, uh, oneness wherever you're at. 
Oneness that results in a sense of togetherness and intimacy and openness. Very essential. Now remember the words of Jesus here. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. You know these, this verse. If you have what? For one another. The, the, the command, the, uh, the Ten Commandments, Jesus summed as love to God, right? And love to our fellow man. If you have love to God, you're going to have love for your fellow man. Amen. I just, one it leads to the other all the way. Okay, oneness means oneness of purpose, oneness of identity, oneness of unity. Purpose, identity, and unity. How often churches squabble? <laughs> you know, members squabble. How often sometimes we say bad things about one another? How often we don't get close enough to really be intimate with one another? To be really one. Whenever that happens, there will be a no identity with Christ and our purpose will be missing and we will not have unity. Because the model is, as close as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are, that's the model for us. Okay? Husbands, <coughs> are you that close to your kids? Dads, are you that close to your wife? Um, I, I sometimes watch generations, and this is not really true how different generations react, but I, I'm noticing that people in some ways are learning how to do this better, but most people are not. Leaving no room, this kind of innocence leaves no room for selfish concerns, thinking without consideration of others, and misunderstanding. Uh, leaving no room for selfish concerns, thinking about consideration of others, or misunderstandings. So Jesus really envisioned a church that was really together, that really cared for one another, and that really knew one another. In fact, just the other night in our Bible study, I was, I was reading in John chapter 10, and the two qualifications for the shepherd, when Jesus was comparing the shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, etc., comparing the shepherds of the nation with himself, you remember in John chapter 9, you have that horrible experience where the blind man who had been healed was treated so terribly by the church leaders. Remember, threatened to be put out, all kinds of stuff like that. And then Jesus goes immediately into a story about shepherds. And he's, he's basically saying that a true shepherd is one who is willing to die for his sheep. And number two, one who knows his sheep. Knows them. And I thought to myself, I'm a shepherd Am I willing to die for you guys? Do I really know you? So Jesus, you know, this put a lot of shame on the leaders of that day. But for us today, God is expecting an intimacy, a oneness. And until that happens, the Spirit of God will not be powerfully felt in our lives. This is a necessary step. And so there's just too much selfishness. There's just too much uh, not thinking about what others might feel, too much misunderstandings. We do not have identity of purpose and, uh, nor a personal identity of oneness or unity. Let's see if I can make it work there. Uh, this is a native and natural oneness that I'm talking about matching the physiology with which we are born. 
So let's take a look at that. Only in this kind of openness can Christ's goals be achieved. And this is what it's required. If you're going to have oneness, oneness does not exist in secrecy. Oneness requires transparency. You see, because if you have secrecy, you run up against a wall that's called a barrier. And you can't get through it. And so that's why you find always in revivals and always in God's churches, there's this transparency that comes. And what did Jesus say? Are there going to be secrets in heaven? No. There's transparency. And what are the reasons why the, one of the reasons why the wicked just get terrified of going to heaven? Transparency. They can't bear it. And there's a whole lot of people today that are in God's church that would be terrified to go to heaven on that basis alone. And so oneness requires transparency. Stop hiding. Come out of the hiding. There we go. Authenticity. Authenticity is what a lot of young people today are really saying. It really means a lot to them. Finding authentic people. People who are on the outside and the inside the same. There's no difference. And you know what? Uh, To our lesson today. People are actually needing this. Young people in this very much hungering for this intimacy and this closeness are looking for people that they could look all the way through them, it seems like, and they find something that is honest, that is genuine. And so they question and they quiz and they kind of tear you apart because that's what they're trying to find out. Can I trust you? Because if they trust you, stay with me on this, If they trust you, what happens? The quote that you read uh, this morning, Dean. Once they trust you, they let their guard down. They let you come in and intimacy is established. But they have to be able to test you and find out if this authenticity is really there. So this is what God is expecting. Transparency, authenticity, and trust. The essential element in salvation is established through these two things above causing people to yield and become converted. You know about the power of the will? You know, some people have turned the power of the will into a word that kind of describes that we have to have willpower so that we can be saved. We're saved by our willpower. No, Jesus draws us to him. We'd never find him without him drawing us to him, right? And what, is, what happens when we're drawn to Christ? Some of these other things take place. Transparency, authenticity, which builds trust and causes people yielding. That's the way I fell in love with my wife. <laughs> I checked her out. I found out she was authentic. I found out that she could open up. And that allowed me to trust her. And we were allowed to have a relationship then. And that relationship has been growing and growing and growing. If we started hiding if we started running from each other, if we started you know, not being really genuine with each other, what would happen to our relationship? Shut down. Shut down. So when the world begins to see these kind of characteristics in Christians, no matter what church they're in, they're going to go to that church. The gospel will go to the entire world because barriers, will be, barriers between people will be removed. Intimacy, both genders crave it, When it is missing, there is a void that hurts very, very deeply. Everyone wants to be known and loved. Everybody longs for that. And when people late in life are asked what 
brought the most meaning, significance, and value to them? What are their answers? All of their accomplishments? No. It's that someone cared, someone loved, somebody just took time and was honest, authentic with them, trusting with them. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I was pushing the wrong button. My fault. God builds that into us. Take a look at this. What I'm showing you is that not only does God theologically say that that's what we need to have, He physiologically prepares us for this. And so we are the product of two cells, two becoming one. Two separate becoming one. Every one of us are that way. Okay? For the first nine months, where do we, where do we live? Inside someone else. Right? Does that build some kind of connection? Is it meant to do that? God's already trying to help us along here. In infancy, we are dependent upon others for an extremely long period of time and compared with other species. Why is that necessary? Because God is trying to help us to learn what? Love, Love, intimacy, oneness, what it's like to be together, answering Jesus' prayer. The designer, our creator, is trying to help us along. Okay? Chemicals uh, bonding mothers to their children are released during the birthing process to accomplish what? To make sure that that child can start developing neural structure and the entire feelings necessary to bond. Very important. If we cannot do that, Jesus' prayer will not be fulfilled, but that child will never connect. You've heard about attachment disorder? When this doesn't happen, it sets up tragedy for that child all through their life. We talked about that sometime in the past, about that. During adolescence, here's another boost of chemicals, how we're helped along. Somewhere along the line, you know, that stage where boys can't stand girls and girls can't stand boys, chemicals change that so quickly. And now they just charge towards each other. God is helping critical stages in the process, helping us to, to get to where he wants us to be together in one. Very essential. So God is doing all of this. Loneliness has serious negative medical consequences. We are aware of that. Uh, as psychological consequences as well. The Bible advocated a full year of relief from social responsibility for newly married, presumably to enhance that marital bond. And biology assists newlyweds during the first year of their marriage. And they studied this because in the first year of their marriage, she is so perfect and he is so perfect too, it's only in the second year they learn that they're not perfect. (laughs) Now, brain science. Mere neurons. Discovered in 1992, using laser-thin electrodes, electrodes implanted in single brain cells um, in the sensor and motor area of monkeys, helped them to discover neurons that fired as the monkey watched someone else do something. As a result of that, they discovered that these neurons were called, they, they named them mirror neurons. As they fired, they witnessed the monkey copying exactly what it observed, a kind of neural shorthand, monkey see, monkey do, 
It's built in physiologically into the brain. God has cells designed to do that. Why? Because we need to have a fast way to connect to other people. We normally in our lives are closed, isolated, alone. And these enable us to attach, identify, and build empathy. If that did not happen, we wouldn't open the doors for us to be permeable with someone else. It's necessary. Who created this? Who made these neurons? I don't know if God calls them mere neurons, but that's what they are. They help us to attune with others, to get in tune with them, allowing brain-to-brain hookups. In other words, our brains know that we're talking to another brain out there, and they connect, even though we may not realize it. They're scanning, they're perceiving, they're taking all the signals, and they're connecting. Who makes that possible? God designed it that way. Can you see how many ways that God has told us in his words and also in our physiology and our sociology, he has told us that we have to have this. It's fulfilling Jesus' prayer. It's an absolutely must. Within milliseconds of meeting someone, we intuit whether they are safe and acceptable. And if on that signal, in a millisecond, we find out that they're safe and acceptable, you know what happens? The barriers go aside and openness happens, and we're allowed to come in. It's just like with computers. Do you want this thing to come into your computer? You click yes, and it's there. Right? And it happens with us the same way. It's a decision that God has made possible through our neural makeup, allowing someone to become, us to become transparent and available for someone else to come down deep inside. That's how come we have marriages. That's how come we have 60-year-old marriages, you know, neat stuff like that that's taking place. Okay, more on mirror mirror neurons. There are things called oscillators that make possible synchronization. This is what God has done. Friends speak together. Their breathing falls into complementary rhythms. Can you even read that second line there? As they approach the end of the conversation, they fall out of synchrony. In other words, the body just kind of oscillates, starts oscillating together when we're someone. God designed it that way. It is absolutely necessary. And so this society today that is alone, or together, but alone, is lose, not using this whole thing that God had designed. And we cannot find salvation without it. As people walk together, both hands and legs move in harmony In the womb, infants synchronize their movements to the human speech they hear coming down. Attuning our body to someone else is what we call empathy. Empathy, listen to this, maximizes harmony, efficiency, creativity, and potential. It builds intuitiveness, flow, attention, and joy. We operate, here's what I'm saying, we operate at our best when we are connected and feeling Together, we operate at our best. You take a baseball team, basketball team, football team, and every coach in the world knows that there are those moments if they can build that sense of togetherness, that sense of oneness in their, their, uh, their teams, they can get to that place, that sweet spot where everything just works, works absolutely perfectly. God designed us to function all the time that way. I'm so happy 
that the fighting years between my wife and I are past. And we are in a sweet spot more than any time in our life, even though we're apart so much. It makes a tremendous difference in a person's life, what you're capable of doing, and definitely your spirituality. It releases massive amounts of insight and potential when this happens, this togetherness. It, in other words, we are hitting the spot that we are designed for maximum efficiency, the way God designed us. It happens when we get that connection, and it works well. Caution, fear, uncertainty are pushed aside because they are no longer needed, because we've made a decision to be together. We are seeing eye to eye. We have become one. Father, let them be one, even as we are one. We are discovering today, medical science has for a long, long time known this, that this is powerful. If people can use this in their healing, their healing is enhanced. Psychology is enhanced. All kinds of stuff take place. I'm looking at the two over here that are soon to be wed. There you are. You're getting in the sweet spot. (laughs) Caring builds trust. Caring opens the possibility for trust which produces empathy and the environment for... Listen to these words. I don't know. Can you read that bottom line? Is it hard to read? When you have caring, you will have trust. You will will develop into empathy, which makes possible... Look at those words. Wholeness, oneness, spaciousness, completeness. All the words that are related to God-likeness. Every one of them. Now, we have always cast salvation in theological terms. I have cast it for you today in relational terms. And I think that's where Jesus presented it all the time. That's where that's at. Brain science, again on neurons. We're going to get past this. Do we need them? Do we have to have them? Well, we, yeah. We need to have these, these um, uh, mirror neurons, etc., because relationships will change us. If we get in a relationship with somebody, it's a reciprocal thing, and we change each other. We do not come out the same. We change each other. My wife likes to take credit in what she's changed in me, and I have my list of honors that I get for what I've done for her. But we do change each other. A repeated experience with others sculpt and shape our brains. No longer can relationships be considered detached encounters because Uh, Hence, the need of an extremely fast and trustworthy gatekeeper. And this is the trust police are the faith sentinels that are in our own biology because they give access to our inner program to somebody else outside. It makes us very vulnerable, making it possible for our minds to be changed by others. Mirror neurons. Assisting in this instant calculus are something called spindle cells. I'm talking about how God designed us. The body of these cells, four times larger than any other brain cells, they are extremely fast in their ability to communicate. And brain imaging reveals that these enable us to assess social situations. Pause, explain. The biggest brain cell that any habit, any creature anywhere has, limited basically to the human race, is, is designed to assess social relationships. Does that tell you something about God's intention? He made it possible for us to make these social connections. 
He designed us that way. It's necessary in every part of our life. I don't know what's happening. Maybe I'm pressing this too often here. Hello? Ah, get in a different spot. Humans have a thousand times more spindle cells than do our closest primate cousins. Intimacy is the most difficult thing we will ever do. It requires the merging of two opposites into one, man, woman, become one, something both invigorating and enormously complicated. The brain requires change in order to learn. But if everybody was the same, there's no change. Now, what about churches? We become same after a while if we don't have new blood coming in. When we become same, we start having spiritual problems. Brain requires change in order to continue to learn. We cannot grow or feel good when our emotions are at status quo. Emotions are felt when change occurs. Learning requires growth and change. Choosing the most unlike us, therefore, ensures our growth and an endless supply of feelings. So I chose a short little gal. I'm up here, she's down here. I came from a poor family, she came from a rich family. She's naturally smart, it's hard for me. You know, she's very emotional. At that time, my emotions were deeply buried. <laughs> I had no access to them, didn't even know how to get to them. So, went for something unlike me. That ensured growth for both of us, an endless supply of feelings, both good and bad. So bad that we feel the relationship is killing us, and it is, and it must, in order for us to become one. Only when both die can one appear. Did Jesus say something about dying? Yeah. To be loved by someone who knows all about us, including every fault, is the ultimate in acceptance. It is the greatest gift It's grace undefiled. Such an acceptance produces peace, the word shalom, a state of completeness. I already talked about that earlier. When everything is functioning at its fullness, you talk about these words that God has used to describe what his goal is for us. It's all about what we're talking about here. When we touch, uh, when all we touch seems to produce a magical positive effect, Acceptance releases our full potential the way we are meant to be. And when we give this kind of love to others, we release in them the same love, and that produces intimacy. Jesus enjoyed instant interconnection with people. He knew their thoughts. Is that becoming one? Is that possible for us today? Yeah. If you allow it, it can happen. He knew what was in man. Inside. He knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. Is it important for us to know inside another person? To be that intimate to know? Is that important? Does that give strength to us? Does that make us stronger? Yeah, that is important. Intimacy is a passion to know and be known. And that passion reaches into heaven's highest levels. The creation of mankind was proof of God's desire to be known, Ezekiel 38. Jesus came to this earth in pursuit of it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. Paul's famous expose on love. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know even as I am also known. Becoming one is to become like God. Intimacy is transparency, authenticity. 
Oneness builds faith. This is the major difference between God and Satan. This is the major difference. Is Satan authentic? Is Satan intimate? No. Couldn't bear it. And it is the only way the gospel can accomplish its mission. I've talked to you today about the importance of belonging. That's a challenge to all of us. Because we need to belong in our families together as one. We need to have a nucleus of friends that we are really close to and that we belong together and we become one with. We as husbands and wives, as children and parents, as church members, in so many different occasions with our community, we need to become one. And when that happens, please stay with me, this, I'm closing with this, as that happens, barriers are broken down. Hearts open up. And now they're willing to be changed. Listen to things that they would never listen to before. If this gospel is ever going to get entirely around the world, this is what will take it there. Not persistence, not dog-hearted, you know, just getting out there with our nasty selves, <laughs> you know, and forcing people, convincing them against their will. No, this is what Jesus used all the time, and it's what we know. And if we are, in relationships where there is no sweet spot, if we are in relationships that do not really accept and love and honor one another, then we need to do some changing about that. Because God's prayer, Jesus' prayer, was that we should be one, even as He and the Father is one. Everything depends on this. This is the importance of belonging. Father, we've taken a long time. Your Holy Spirit has been here. I just hope that in all of our hearts we've understood the significance of this. And even though we might feel ill-prepared and unable to be so intimate, so transparent, and to find oneness because maybe we've never had it, never known it in our past, for most of society is that way. This is your prayer. And we're asking that you will fulfill your prayer in this church, in these homes in this church, in these hearts in this church today the newly married, the new members today, those that have been with us, those that have been married a long time, within families. May we take special note that this is a message for us and it is so essential. Everything hangs on it. Teach us what this message means for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.